Can I curse on this? Show? You can now. I just decided to make it a okay, an explicit I'll try pod, to... explicit <laughs> episode. Bookkeepers and accountants don't have sailors' mouths, so. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. My guest this week is Alex Fisher, a bookkeeper and financial consultant with Open Bookkeeping and a community organizer with the Root Social Justice Center. How's it going, Alex? Pretty good. It's very hot today. Where are, where are you? I'm in Vermont, in Brattleboro, Vermont, southeast corner. And it's hot? Yeah. We've had... A very, very hot summer, probably record highs. Um, Yeah, there have been like weeks of over 90, which is very rare for us. Yeah, we had that in Minnesota, but it's over now. Yeah, we thought. We're at that perfect like 70 degree (laughs) point now. I think that's coming tonight. So we've had like a back to school little, you know, (laughs) just make sure all the kids are dying every day. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> we had a few days where the heat index registered 115 for three or four days in a row. That is awful. Is I'm sorry. Definitely record highs for the uh, the weeks they happened on. Yeah, I moved this summer and managed to pick the highest or the hottest day on record in five years. <laughs> so that was fun. <laughs> yeah. Poor planning, but what are you going to yeah, do? I mean, you can't exactly. So uh, your your primary occupation is with op- open bookkeeping. Uh, do you want to tell me what the uh, the premise of open bookkeeping is? Sure. I it's a bookkeeping and financial consulting business that is just me. Um, I started it. Oh gosh, maybe six, five or six years ago now. And the there's like a short, medium, and long story to it. I'll try to do the medium, which is perfect. That um, when I was sort of more of let's say a queer punk in the Bay Area in the mid 2000s, um, I got trained in as a bookkeeper at a really small community organization. I believe the words from one of the founders were, "You seem competent enough," <laughs> and. <laughs> Suddenly, I became trained in as a bookkeeper. And through that, like most other volunteer things, was, you know, quickly brought into other organizations because I would talk at all about finance. And through that, realized that a lot of radical social justice organizations, um, community based work was really outsourcing a lot of the finance and not connecting their sort of ideals and values around money and. Uh, work to sort of dismantle capitalism was not lining up with their actual financial practices. Um, Fast forward to moving to Vermont, I was farming, and one of my friends owned a logging business and was like, hey, you do numbers? Great, I'm hiring you to be my bookkeeper because I need to continue logging, you are competent. And from there, it just sort of kept going. Um, It's a fairly niche market that I work in, which is um, in Vermont, mostly, but now I have a lot of national clients and really focusing on having an anti-capitalist analysis of finances and how do we bring some of those pieces into the financial practices of businesses and organizations and nonprofits and co-ops. And so, yeah, I do a lot more consulting now. Um, 
setting up budgeting systems, really working on creating democratically run businesses and organizations where everyone's actually participating in financial decisions. Okay, so I need a little more definition of the phrase <laughs> anti-capitalist. Yeah. How does so, how does that apply to financial analysis? Right. I don't, you know, I kind of give a big disclaimer which is I try to say that I'm trying to figure out how to have anti-capitalist financial practices. I would not say that I'm successfully doing it. Um, still learning on what that might mean. But for me, like capitalism is an economic system that's built on individual ownership of wealth. It's built on exploiting resources, people, planet, ideas, etc. Uh, generally, it's like a stolen resource-based economy and has a long history of you know things like genocide and slavery and land theft um, and witch hunts and things like that. So anti-capitalist, and I think another big piece for me of capitalist economy is that those that have gain from having and those that don't have lose from not having, which is also known as like the interest system. Sure. And so a lot of what I do is kind of look at what are ways that we're creating um, more Co-op, like cooperative economies are one of the only sort of medium solution, sort of like short-term next steps that I've seen be successful. And so that looks like how are we taking values of exploitation and actually rewarding people for the work they've done or, you know, not exploiting the earth, not exploiting um, black and brown communities, queer communities, trans communities immigrant labor, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and also, how are we not having individual ownership? How are we, in fact, like moving away from ownership and more towards uh, the commons or cooperative ownership or things like that? I'm only familiar with most of these concepts because of uh, there's a record store in Minneapolis called Extreme Noise that okay. has always run as an anarchist collective mm -hmm. uh, with cooperative finances and... Mm -hmm. While, you know, there's a, a hierarchy of uh, leadership, there's no single ownership of the store. It's basically, I don't even fully understand how they operate, but I know that they've been in existence for probably 20, 25 years now. Oh, yeah, for sure. They they get along just fine. And yeah. they, they support the punk community very, very tightly, so... Cool. Yeah, I mean, it's like any um, any microcosm, ha you know, is not perfect um, and is working towards things. But I think one of the things that I'm just like super jazzed about introducing is the reality of capitalism when talking about finance and introducing the not introducing like no one's ever done it before. But just when I do my work, I'm very um What's the word? I'll say systematic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> about just how do we name these sort of ideals that the clients I work with are doing in their day-to-day -day work, right? Like anti-racist organizing or, you know, uh, women empowerment or trans youth groups. And how does that line up with anti-capitalist values and how do we actually you know then bring that into also the finance world um it is i'm by no means saying that like i've solved capitalism 
at all. I don't understand. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> but more, I just kind of think in the finance world, people don't talk about it. Um, it's very rare to have people that want to work with finance and are willing to also say the system is totally fucked. And, um, and I don't actually, you know, agree with the principles of it. I think most people that have those values are like, I want to stay as far away from finance as possible. I, I think that's true of everyone in every walk of life. <laughs> there, yeah. That is why if anyone that appears competent comes along, people like me are happy to hand over our books. Mm-hmm. Would you say that from from your early start of being quote unquote competent that you have you've gained uh, experience and knowledge along the way? Do you yes. feel competent now? <laughs> yes, I do. I mean, one of the things when I joke about I was confident um, is that I really like math. I grew up with um, parents where my dad is a math genius, a math professor, has solved Einstein equations, et cetera, et cetera. Grew up with like math equations on napkins at the breakfast table that were all letters, <laughs> that kind of dad. And my mom was a teacher. So naturally, all of our family games growing up were math games. So I'm just not afraid of numbers or afraid of math in a way that I think definitely queer and trans folks and people socialized as female are like very turned away, turned off from in young kids. Um, And yeah, I mean, I've also been like, wow, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a self-taught bookkeeper. Let me learn. So I've had mentors and taken classes. And then I went to business school, which was really fantastic and really just helped me learn more about how to it it gave me time to incorporate values and skills yeah there's a a gap for me between math and economics and yeah and I, I don't do economic work i'm not like here's supply and demand kind of stuff okay i'm more like hey you believe in not exploiting people how do we do that in your work and how do your finances reflect that you know i like, feel like that's its own kind of economics though Sure. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I'm not like, you know, New York Times economists sure. write papers on economic theory that yeah. mostly because most of that economic theory to me is like based on a bunch of capitalist bullshit. So I'm going to assume that your kind of mission statement with open bookkeeping ties into your work as a community organizer. Would that be fair? Yeah. Not too much of a leap. No, I mean, they're diff- different skill sets, same sure. grand vision. Yeah. Um, okay. So what is it that you do? What kind of uh, what kind of communities do you organize with the Root Social, Social Justice Center? Sure. Um, so I don't do a lot of the frontline organizing. The Root was started several uh, in 2013. Yes, it's our fifth year anniversary this fall. Um, And it was originally started as a community space and co-working space. And eventually, and the the common theme to the very few events that we would put on was racial justice work. And the collective at the time, there were four of us, was one person of color, three white folks. And we, over the last few years, have shifted basically everything. So ignore everything I just said. And the root now is an official, it's a 501c3, and it is a racial justice organizing hub in southeastern Vermont that has radically shifted to be 
predominantly run by people of color. So in the second whitest state in the country, you know, 93% white, we are creating an organization and shifting leadership in an organization to be people of color led to really um, increase voices, increase power, and just build stronger networks of the people of color that already exist here in order to work on, you know, making this, um, I mean, so many things, making Vermont a place where people of color are safe, where they want to be, are visible to people that are already here, can find each other, and also, you know, can do things like change some terrible legislation that's on the books, et cetera, et cetera. So as a white person, the work I do is like all behind the scenes at this point. Um, Shockingly, I do the finances. Um, (laughs) I do the bookkeeping and I sort of bottom line our budgeting process, but don't do the budgeting myself since I don't run our programs. And yeah, we're pretty clear that like most of the work we do, um, there's two white folks and three people of color on the collective. And then we have a 10 person advisory board. That's all people of color. So a lot of the work I do is being at meetings and supporting decisions and doing the sort of gopher work, you know, putting things on a website. Today, I research merchant, like merch that we're going to be selling, shirts and hats, and put some pictures on a website and followed up about tabling at some events this weekend. All right. So how how big a, a town do you live in? Brattleboro is a whopping 12,000 people. Okay, so tiny. So, from a uh, a community organizer perspective, yeah, is it different? Do do you do things differently in a smaller town than maybe what I would be familiar with in in larger cities? Yes. Um, so, and I'll you know to be clear, Brattleboro has a population of twelve thousand. And in general, people like to talk about maybe there's like a 30,000 person sort of region um, that Brattleboro is like a hub for shopping and jobs and things like that and tourism. Um, So, you know, it's it's a rural area. So the region is maybe more like 30 to 40,000. And yes, we totally do things differently here than in urban areas. So I sort of got some of my organizing chops in Oakland, California, which really could not be more different than here. <laughs> <laughs> and quickly was like, well, that's mostly useless. I mean, not totally useless, but, you know, a lot of the tactics or just relationship building techniques um, in bigger cities don't work the same way. Yeah. Um, and in fact, there is this really cool rural racial justice organizing study group based Um, also out of Brattleboro from a few groups in town that is looking at that exact question of, you know, there's a lot of research, there's a lot of stuff written up and um, a lot of credit given to urban organizing, but what does it look like to organize in small towns? And and putting a, starting to put that syllabus together, I remember realizing that a lot of the social justice movements that I sort of look to were very rural based like the civil rights movement in the south right voting registration um the farm worker organizing in california 
things like that have all been actually pretty rural or small town based. Sure. And so looking at those as some really cool examples. Um, specifically, I mean, the things that I realize living in a small town are like, you are always on. Just always. <laughs> How so? Um, you know, like you want to just swing by the co-op and grab some groceries. Ah. Uh. Except you know everybody that works right. there, and you know everybody shopping, and everybody shopping's kids, and you know, um, and you can't really go to a different grocery store and not have that experience. Yeah, you know, I think living in urban areas, there is more options where there's small communities. I found that there were like small communities within an urban area. So like, sure, my neighborhood grocery store, I would run into people, or the neighborhood farmers market, or the neighborhood bar. But if I, like, really wanted to not run into people, I could find a place. Yeah. It would yeah. just be, like, maybe a little outside my comfort zone or outside my neighborhood. Um, and it's just a little, you know, you have to, like, travel. Yeah. I, these I days think. I live in a town of 30,000. And I, I, I have to drive out to Wisconsin if I want to go grocery shopping and not say hi to anyone. <laughs> Plus, yeah, yeah, I I shop at the co-op, which makes it an even smaller microcosm of, I know everybody there, you know, if not by name, then by reputation and by, by face. And, and, and everybody knows everyone, right? So it's, it's not, for me, there's like a reputation issue of not just what you tangibly do, but how people perceive it. And just the gossip factory is huge. Um, and so in that sense, like you're always on, you know, like, yeah. And that's an interesting challenge in your organizing (laughs) or who you're not dating or, you know, I had not considered the difference there, uh, from an activist standpoint, if everyone knows you personally, like knows actually what you do outside Mm -hmm. of your activism, that has to affect the way that. Because suddenly they're they're not putting a this person is an activist leader, that's not your only face, and that has to affect perception in general. Mm-hmm. How does that do, do? You have to do you have to make choices in your personal life uh, that would be different if it were completely separated from your activist life. Um. The pauses that I'm thinking. <laughs> um, I want to, I want to say that I wouldn't make different choices, but I'm sure that's not true. <laughs> well, some of those right, choices I mean, of become things, second nature, I assume. Yeah, and I think there's also a difference for me of like, you know, again, I lived in Oakland in my twenties, which is. So some of the things are hard to say, like when I lived some, is it the place or was it me at the time? Sure. Um, Like I don't drink anymore. So I don't, or like, you know, I don't drink very often. Um, And so I don't have the like, oh God, I got drunk and something happened. That happened before in bigger places, Um, which I don't know, maybe that's because I'm in my thirties or because I have a kid now. Or because I live in a town where I would have to hear about it, you know, every day for the rest of my life kind of thing. Um, So, like, that's something that I wonder. Um, But I also, 
I think one of the places where this overlaps for me is dating as a queer person, as like someone kind of under the trans umbrella and as someone that is in open and poly relationships there, there's like an interesting piece of outing other people. Sure. Um, that is really in a small town. Um, I think takes on some different kinds of flavors. Are the, uh, this is a weird question, but are the, I'll pass if needed. <laughs> yeah. Are the, are the queer slash trans dating options in a town of 12,000, uh, viable? I mean, I'm going to say it's a different answer for different people. Um, right. Like depending on who you date. Sure. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, my thing right now in life and, you know, I'm sure by the time this airs, I'll be like, just kidding <laughs> for a long time. Um, I, I have not really wanted to date someone that I will see at the grocery store. Yeah, I get so that. So I've been really happy to date out of town for like the last several years. Um, yeah, it's in some ways it's viable in the sense that there's a lot of sort of life structure goals, values that I would share with people in a small town and in my small town because they're here. Yeah. You know, so I'm not I'm not someone who's like, I'm trying to date people in New York City and hope that they'll move here. <laughs> you know, I'm, that's just, I'm not interested in New York City stuff. Yeah. Um, and I don't, you know, I'm sure that comes off incredibly judgy. Um, <laughs> I don't it think is so. a little bit because that's why I don't live there, but not like not the people that are bad. Like, I love all my friends that live in cities. Yeah. Um, but I choose to live here because I like that I can bike to a waterfall. And that I can see the and find parking when you go somewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can I can bike to the farm where I get my raw milk from. Yeah, like it's it's pretty great. And my farm my friends are farmers and they can farm and have land, you know. And I just all sorts of you know I can run for I'm on like town government, you know. I can do that in a small town. Yeah, um, it's stuff that that sort of stuff so you know dating i mean but also who is dating good you know like who's ever like i love dating <laughs> it's the best like i, I open I'm up i open up tinder and i'm 30, fascinated yeah in new york and it's fantastic you know so or maybe in you know uh maybe not new york anymore maybe brooklyn or like jersey City. <laughs> uh, so you know i think it's a question that I don't know if anyone would really be like, yes. <laughs> That's fair. That's entirely fair. <laughs> but if you're saying, are is there a large queer community in this area? That might maybe be a different take on that question. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that wasn't my question. Now I, I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pondering now. What did I really mean by that <laughs> I question? I want to know. <laughs> I, just, I just know that dating options in the town of 30,000 that I live in are abysmal. No matter what your orientation is. Um, everyone's already coupled up at my age. Yeah, I don't think that's very different. Yeah. Uh, but if I were willing to... For you know. everyone, you know. I also say I... Um, one of the big things is I am now a foster parent, which happened within the last 11 months, 12 months. Um, and that has just changed my 
life a hunt like you know 180 and so i also have no idea what's going on in the dating community because i haven't had time sure i want to i want to append my my uh little sentence there and say that i i have an amazing girlfriend that i'm very <laughs> i am very lucky to have found i just happen to know that were it not for her i would probably be banging my head against a uh phone yeah you know trying to find anybody <laughs> yeah um but yeah okay so i have one question before i, I want to ask about your, your fostering and your your kid one of the items on your list of things you'd like to talk about was your name oh yeah tell me tell me i have no idea like what the question that would lead to that is but tell me what you wanted to talk about in that area that's so funny. I don't know at the time, but, uh, <laughs> well, one of the things about my name, and I think it maybe was, had to do with like how you were going to introduce me, um, is that I get called all three versions of my name, which is Alex, my first name, Fisher, my last name, and Alex Fisher. Okay. And, um, I don't have a preference. And so there's this funny thing that happens. And I like to joke about it in saying that, like, I do have a gender pronoun preference, which is they and them, but I don't have a name preference. Yeah. And so the um, it turns into, and it's, again, kind of like, I guess it's not actually a small town issue. It's just a funny thing that happens in my life where I'll be in a space and it's, you know, you know, I'm in a lot of meetings or group spaces where you introduce yourself. And I panic because I have to look around the room and realize and try to figure out who knows me as Alex, who knows me as Fisher, <laughs> and which name do I use, you know, in that 20 seconds of introducing. Um, and at times, I've also been places where people are, don't realize that they're talking about the same person, that, like, they're both talking <laughs> about me because one's using Fisher and one's using Alex, and they have no idea. Um and yeah, I mean, and there's, there's some other sort of funny backstories to that. I do. One of the other pieces of my name is that, um, and this is the sort of what I find to be like the gender irony is that when my parents were pregnant with me, my parents, when my mom was pregnant with me, um, every doctor said I was going to be a boy. This was, you know, 1983. And so being, you know, excellent parents they did not they had a boy's name picked out which was Zachary which was my mom's second favorite boy's name her first favorite boy's name is Aaron which is my brother my older brother and you know literally every doctor until the moment I was born was like boy 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 and so they my mom gave birth it was a c-section and out pops me and you know no one at the time would have called me a boy and my, I think my mom's words were Sasha Marie, which was the girl's name they had picked out for me. Sounds like a dog's name. I'm not naming my child that. <laughs> and so they went with Alex, which is hilarious to me. You know, now being in my mid-30s, identifying as genderqueer, sort of trans umbrella world, and being like, wow, I haven't had to change my name. Uh, <laughs> right. Every doctor thought I was going to be a boy. They weren't right, but they weren't wrong. You know, and just <laughs> looking back on, like, those first 
however many hours of my life and realizing that that was actually pretty accurate <laughs> on what was uh, going to happen to me. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like both Alex and Aaron, they gave you some flexibility. Yeah. Um, no, Aaron got... with a slight uh, spelling change, but. Yeah. And yeah. he's, you know, he's pretty happy being the man he is. So we don't, <laughs> we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> um, but yeah. And that's also, you know, an interesting thing where I haven't ever had to deal with name change around specifically around gender stuff, um, which many people that are non cis and or non, you know, non-binary trans world definitely have had to struggle with name change. Um, if not changing their name of should I or shouldn't I? And I've always kind of just been like, well, that was great. <laughs> Thank you for not naming me Sasha Marie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would have and definitely been never, I know I've never met someone named Sasha Marie. I feel like the moment I do, I will stop telling this story. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, until then. <laughs> that's a very Southern sounding Sasha Marie. Well, yeah. maybe not. it's like a Northern version of a Southern name. I don't, I really don't understand. I guess Sasha is like maybe Jewish. So my dad's side is like Eastern European Ashkenazi Jew. And my mom's side is just a hundred percent Sicilian. Okay. Not even like mainland Italian. Um, so I'm still kind of confused on where that name came from. <laughs> Although but. to be fair, Sasha on its own is a pretty unisex name. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I guess I was destined no matter what. Yeah. All right. So now you have a kid. Now I have a kid. Uh, yeah. A foster a child. Let's be clear. A teenager. Yes. Yes. And are you, it's foster to adopt? Yeah. We're working on adoption right now. So okay. I feel fine saying that over the internet. Um, yeah. He's like the most amazing kid ever. And I like to joke um, recently one of, so I'm, I have like a lot of bad dad jokes. It's a skill that I have realized I have since having a child. Um, I think they were just bad jokes before, but now they like really fall under bad dad jokes. And so a lot of my friends are queer and have kids and are raising, you know, queer families. Um, and I've like acquired children in so many different ways. And so there's all these books that are out now on how babies are born. And they're not just like mom and dad had sex and there was a baby. Um, there's like, you know, IVF and a donor and all this stuff. Sure. And I like to joke that we really did the old fashioned method, which is a stork because <laughs> I literally had my kid delivered to me <laughs> just like dropped off one day. And, and your teenager is trans, correct? Yes. So yeah. did you specifically look for? Oh, no, I did not look. Oh, yeah. So here's <laughs> the shorthand of the story is he was my camper at an um, all queer, queer and trans summer camp that happens in northern Vermont for a week sure. every summer. Okay. Um, I've been volunteering there for years and he was in my cabin and I was like, this kid is amazing. I totally love him. Um, he's in a home right now. And I mean, I've always wanted to foster queer and trans youth like. Yeah, I always want like since I was in seventh grade and found out what fostering was, I was like, I'm going to do that because I don't ever want to give birth like that sounds like the worst idea to me. Um, 
And then, you know, when I came out as queer and was like, oh, shit, there's like an incredibly disproportionate number of queer and trans youth in the foster system. And also, why would I want a straight kid if I could choose a queer one? Like, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. Um, so he was my camper. He, ha- he was in a placement and it, that placement didn't work out. I got a call from my friends at the camp being like, do you know anywhere he can go? And I was sort of like, I get, send him here was like the short story of it was sort of like, it got a little bit down to the wire and I was like, send him here. And they were like, are you like, are you sure? And I was like, I please like, don't ask me again. <laughs> this, is, this is not one of those things that is like rational, you know, like I know this kid, I already, you know, within a week, like fell in love with him and I just know that he's an amazing kid and we will figure it out. Um, and in that moment it was just like, well, I'm committing to the rest of his life. So here we are. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and so it's, like, wild because I got to choose my kid, which I look at other parents, and I'm like, wow, you just, like, rolled, the, like, so many <laughs> dice. You know, like, you just, you had no idea what was going to happen. I at least, like, knew this kid. You know, we knew each other. <laughs> I got to meet him first. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> I got to watch him be, like, an idiot teenager and, like, a genius all at the same time. Like, I had a fair idea of what I was getting into. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it's been, I mean, it is wild. I, also, he's just so different than I was as a teenager, um, which is really funny. I was just, like, a total, I mean, most of it is I grew up in, like, a very white, middle-class, stable home, uh, two working parents. School was, like, the most important thing ever. I had no childhood trauma, you know always had food in the fridge kind of stuff so my like teenagers were like pretty chill i was kind of boring i was a goody two-shoes and like a straight a nerd um and then i'm like oh or (laughs) we can deal with all of these things you know like that's that's cool we can just have drama every day and you know try to make (laughs) sure you go to class which he's doing now and is it's so exciting he's totally rocking junior year of high school can Um, can I ask how he ended up in foster care? Uh, probably not. Okay. That's maybe not for me to share in yeah. such a public way. Yeah, that was, totally. that was kind of my hesitance in the question. <laughs> can um, I? I mean, can, but I'm not going to answer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and still, you know, like it's hard to talk about. It's a thing that I think, yeah, I struggle with how, what to talk about when as someone that is, you know, growing and changing and so much of who he is is because of who he is. And also so much of who he is, is a product of just like terrible adults, just awful people, like all throughout, like, you know, family and DCF. And just like, there's so many adults in the world that ruin children. Um, And it's so sad. And also being trans that like, you know, I think about where he might be in five or 10 years and what something like this would sound like. Yeah. While also being like, I have my own story, which is like my entire life has turned around. <laughs> like sometimes I would like to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's a it's a thing that I struggle. It's just for me to say like I struggle with what is and isn't appropriate for me to share. Sure. Um, because some people would say like nothing is for me to share because it's not my story. Um, yeah. But also, it's like such an important story to get out there. That well, I especially with. your your part of it. Like, uh, being willing, suddenly making the irrational decision to take on someone 
and and be you know uh an anchor in their life yeah that that is your story to tell for sure yeah it's yeah. wild uh, it's not like i wouldn't necessarily recommend this path to people that um you know are like oh that sounds so fun <laughs> let me just do that immediately <laughs> Um, but I also, you know, it's something I've been thinking about for a long time and have been slowly preparing, I think, whether or not intentionally being like, I want to be able to foster a child next year or just being like, you know, I'm getting my business into a place where I can support myself and others. I have, you know, had an apartment with that was two bedrooms, mostly at the time was so I could support friends that were, you know, in housing needs um, or having housing needs. And so it worked out that I had an extra room so I could have a kid. Um, so, you know, there's like things like that, that like, I think I slowly was working towards and that wasn't intentionally like trying to just one day have a teenager. You are a really generous person. Yeah, I try. Thank you. Why do you say that? Oh, I, I would never uh, make housing decisions based around being able to help other people out with their housing needs. That's... Yeah, I mean, I'm, not all of it was free, <laughs> to be fair. Sure. <laughs> well, and also, I'll say this, because uh, I'm like, it's like, I mean, yes, I love supporting my community and my people. I'm like a very loyal person. And I am someone who ha um, enjoys a lot of control in my home and also does not... I'm a total extrovert, so I like people being around, but not all the time. Yeah. But, you know, so there's, like, been, yeah. It wasn't like I was like, I'm just going to pay more rent so people can come stay here for free sometimes. Yeah. Okay. I wish I could do that. No. And it was also, like, I run my own business and want an office and a guest room, and it's cheaper just to get another bedroom than it is to rent an entire office space. Uh, yeah. You know, so I, I appreciate the a compliment and i'll take it a little bit <laughs> the the extrovert portion of that might be a like for me i'm i'm an introvert and i like to be alone but not all the time mm -hmm. but the idea of opening my home to anyone else is unappealing to me of course i also consider my reasons for not having children relatively selfish <laughs> hey Mo mostly because it would require more bookkeeping than i want to do mm-hmm yeah. yeah, having family is like its own business. Yeah. <laughs> You've got like financial goals and what if, you know, how's money coming in and how's it going out and how are we all working together and who's pulling their weight and all sorts of things. So I want to hit one more topic off your list before we switch to the top three picks. Sure. But I can't decide whether I want to hear why astrology is on your list or if I want to <laughs> hear about your cat. Which would you rather talk about? We can talk about We could try to hit both or blend them together. They're both like... Oh, you know, I want to hear how they could like blend the together. Gay category of like <laughs> where people love astrology and cats and sit at home with their cat, you know, who's made of magic. Cats are like an incredibly magical animal. I love my cats. Yeah, right? Oh, so you, ha you want to talk about cats because you have cats. I love talking about cats. Yeah. <laughs> tell, me, tell me about yours first. Well, I have... I have one that I've had since he was born. Um, his name is Yeti. He's a huge white cat with a lot of toes. Uh -huh. oh, um, I can't we, do the many toes. 
he we call him yeti monster he eats like a monster he cannot you give him a bowl of dry food and most of it ends up outside the bowl he just like digs his face in yeah but he's then eat the stuff around the bowl no i have to put it back in the bowl then he'll eat it because cats are blind within a foot of their face like they have no near vision oh so he he can smell the food but he doesn't bother like rooting around for it um but he's the most sensitive cat he's never in his life bitten or scratched anybody although he's fully capable of it um he if he yeah all indoor and uh he if i'm ill like if i have a stomachache and i'm in bed he'll just come up and put his paw on my like shoulder or my stomach and just lay there with me he's so sweet healers yeah well do you know that do you know that fact about i say fact in giant air quotations um about the vibrations that cats give off um i know that their purrs have a thousand different frequencies that they use but yeah and they use to heal yeah themselves and people Mm -hmm. that that is actually a, a fact a fact without air quotes okay good yeah um you know this day and age you have to be careful naming facts <laughs> um yeah wait so you have that one is yeti they, they also use them for manipulation there are frequencies in purrs <laughs> that have evolved over time <laughs> to to encourage humans to pet and to feed and like there's a lot and that that gets into an area of scientific speculation but the there's within every purr there's a range of frequencies and depending on what the cat wants to happen around it, those frequencies change. Oh my God. The other cat is, is new to my life. Um, uh-huh. my, my girlfriend had a cat that I was actually around. I've known her for years before we dated and I was around the day that she adopted Clovis and Clovis is an all black cat, a long haired black cat. And He was a total jerk to me when I moved in here. Uh, He once, as I passed him in the hallway, after I had passed, turned around and bit me in the butt hard enough to go through my jeans, leave a (laughs) hole in my jeans. Uh, But we get along great now. He comes in every night and makes muffins on my stomach to improve my digestion, I assume. And and yeah, yeah, we get along splendidly now. Your your jeans are fine. (laughs) I don't. Jeans. I don't mind a hole in my jeans. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um, oh man, so you have an all white Yeti cat and an all black Clovis cat. Yet, Yeti is white with black spots. He's like a cow okay. cat. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But his uh, the markings on his head, the black mark on his head, is an Eddie Munster. It like comes oh. to a point in the middle of his forehead. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. So tell me about Mister Biddles. Oh my god, Mr. Biddles. So, um, she's like a tiny permakitten. She's 10 pounds, mostly chubby, so she's very small. I, like, freak out when I see normal-sized cats, because I think they're, like, lions. (laughs) Like, you are so big! You are 18 (laughs) pounds! You're going to kill me! Um, Yeah, Yeti's 21 pounds, just for reference. Yeah, exactly. That's so (laughs) wild to me. Um, So, I hate cats. I hated, let me say, hated cats. I didn't grow up with cats. I am a dog person through and through. Like, my best friend um, made a rule one time that I was only allowed to pet two dogs per block whenever we go places. He was like, seriously, like, we can't get anywhere on time. Um, And cats, I kind of, like, had, 
I think, uh, the attitude towards cats that cats have towards the world, which was like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Just, you're not impressive. You don't play fetch, you know. <laughs> um, and then I moved into this really weird house in Guilford, which is the town, a town outside Brattleboro. It was not a converted silo, but looked like a silo. It was a basically like four yurts stacked on top of each other. <laughs> okay. Um, and it was in the middle of the woods with like a, you know, maybe an acre and a half cleared around it. It was the most amazing and weirdest place I've ever lived. That sounds really and cool. It's really cool. It was also like a pain in the ass because there's one bathroom. It's on the third floor. Uh. <laughs> you know, like the quote unquote stairs that went up to the fourth floor were deathly at minimum. Um, <laughs> like made our landlord put in a uh, banister rail. We were like, I don't know. I just don't really feel like dying <laughs> here um the kitchen had carpeting again it's just like it was a weird it was beautiful and so weird yeah Uh, and like i said it was in the middle of the woods and it had an intense rodent problem um also when we moved in our landlord had like ripped out some rotting boards on the outside of the house that exposed the a hole in the house um, between the third floor ceiling and the fourth floor floorboards, okay. which was maybe, you know, like maybe eight inches high. Yeah. Um, and it was fully exposed to the outside because we moved in in like June. And he was like, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. We would call that the rodent superhighway because there was a high number of flying squirrels <laughs> where we lived and they would just fly into the house. <laughs> and, you know, I basically, my theory is I'm sorry that we colonized your space. I'll give you the walls as a concession. I want the house. And so I was sleeping one night and a mouse ran over my face. And I was like, I'm just, that's like, I have boundaries. That is one of them. (laughs) Like, I don't really enjoy that. Also, it seems unsanitary. Called my landlord and was like, I need you to deal with the rodents. And he was like, great, I'll drop the cat off tomorrow. (laughs) Oh, which I forgot to say, when we went to look at the house, like, all of a sudden, I don't remember how it happened, but all of a sudden, I was holding Mr. Biddles. <laughs> like, in one of those, I didn't even know it happened. I'm not a cat person. I wasn't like, look at this cute cat. I was literally like, oh, there's a cat in my arms. That is a uh, universal skill among cats. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're just like, surprise. <laughs> I've decided to care about you. I've been here the whole time. <laughs> just behind that curtain. <laughs> um, and he was like, the cat can come with the place or not. Um, and I was like, I don't want a cat. Like, you can't just leave your cat here. <laughs> and he was like, well, we might. And I was like, well, I don't like, you know. And he was like, she's an outdoor cat. You know, she has a cat door. You basically just put food out sometimes. She doesn't have a litter box. And so then he was like, I'm leaving the cat. And then the last minute was like, I love her too much. She's coming with us. So then when the mouse climbed over my head, he came the next day and just dropped the cat off and was like, well, if you want to keep her, you can. And I was like, no, no. <laughs> I'm not trying to have a cat. I don't like cats. Um, and we kind of went back and forth a little bit. And I was like, fine, but you're paying for all the vet bills while I live here because I'm not trying to have a cat. And fast forward, like within a month and a half, I was obsessed with this cat like i am just such a case of like toxoplasmosis where i was immediately like like i don't care i don't care i'm in love she's the most important thing you know is she okay and just we would go for walks in the woods um it's the best she's a pretty magical cat um 
I don't really care about other people's cats too much. <laughs> like, I'm still not a cat person. Yeah. Um, I, I understand them a little bit better, which makes me like them. But, yeah, so she's like a small brindle cat. Um, she didn't say a word until we moved into town. And now she's, like, so chatty. <laughs> like, we lived in the woods. And I wonder if she had never met a cat because she just lived in the woods. And so she didn't really know how to meow and then moved into, you know, the big city and met other cats and learned, you know, how to meow or something. So now she's chatty. She likes to tell me what to do. Um, and, yeah, I have i don't know. I like to brag that other people have said they would trade their cat for her. <laughs> very special she's also a total biscuit maker yeah uh, yeah yeah it's hard to tell stories about your cat without people seeing them i don't, you know, I don't like, know it sounds like the story that everyone would tell about their cat she's perfect i enjoy um, hearing people talk there about was a their time cats when we lived in the silo it's so she would shit in the house every day that was my like least favorite time with her <laughs> she was so mad because one of our friends moved in for like the winter and she just like Shat in like the kitchen every day. I was like, I hate everything that's happening. I never wanted a cat. I love you. I hate you. You know, but then would like leave my door open every night so she could come snuggle me. So, yeah, litter training is uh, definitely a benefit with cat ownership. Uh, Yeah, but I still just really want her to go outside all the time. (laughs) The only reason I said yes was because there wasn't going to be a litter box. So, interesting. Now she just sits in my garden. So. I yeah. feel like that's we're going to work on that, too, somehow. I, uh, anyway. I first started having indoor cats when I lived next to a, a professor, like a biology professor who watched birds all the time. Mm-hmm. And he complained that my cat kept killing the birds he was watching. Oh, yeah. So My friends had that issue, like, within their family. <laughs> <laughs> they had a cat called the Beast. And they lived on, like, their, you know, uh, one of my friend's parents' land. And the parents were bird watchers. <laughs> and they were, they put two or three bells on this cat and it still killed. Yeah. It's so wild. My, yeah. my Yeti can catch bats while they're flying. What? Careful of rabies. Do you oh, have your rabies? Y- yes. Okay. Everyone's up to date on shots. And I don't encourage, well, I don't encourage bats in the house to begin with. But... <laughs> There's no stopping him once he's stalking it. No, no, no. Um, I really, like, am trying to figure out how to be clear that if you're going to bring me a gift, the gift needs to be either fully alive or fully dead, <laughs> but not in between. Yeah. Okay. I take I it, I take it you've, you've tried to pick up what you thought was a, a dead mouse. Yeah, well, one time I went to go get, like, the dust, like the dustbin and broom, and then it was gone. Yep. And then yep. it was dead in one of my plants a few days later and i was like this i hate everything happening (laughs) worst this episode of systematic is brought to you by text expander text expander helps you communicate smarter you create snippets for things you type or copy and paste all the time you can make snippets for short things that you use constantly like email addresses website addresses or even today's date and you can make snippets for long things that you use frequently directions, reference requests, proposals, answers to common questions. You can then summon these snippets in any app on Mac, Windows, iPhone, and iPad using an abbreviation that you set. Or, and this is one of my favorite features now, 
You can search for them using a hotkey while you're typing. I've been using Text Expander for years now and I have a ton of snippets, more than I can actually remember most of the time. So while I'm typing, if I know I have a snippet for something but I can't remember the abbreviation, I can just hit a hotkey, type a few letters, and get the snippet that I'm looking for. It even has a cool feature where if you type something that you do have a snippet for, but you typed it out manually, it'll pop up a little notification to remind you you could have just typed this abbreviation. You can personalize your responses using fill-in fields, so you could add one for a name in Dear Name, and when you expand it, it would ask you for the name to fill in. And then you can power up your whole team by sharing snippets. Visit TextExpander.com podcast for 20% off your first year. Thanks again to Smile and TextExpander. All right. Do we need to jump to the three things? Yeah, we, we We're do. We're going to bypass astrology. Yeah, which is okay. fine because... Uh, oh, maybe, you know what? I'll, I'll tie it in. I got it. Okay. So normally this goes back and forth, but every once in a while I don't come up with three picks. Okay. And this is one of those weeks. Oh, Okay. Um, so we're going to discuss in a little extra detail your three picks. So what Great. would your first pick be? And they're just like three picks of anything I'm excited about. Anything. For. Anything okay. in the world. Um, one of my favorite things in the entire world, which is actually my pick because it hasn't happened this summer, are full moon night swims. Huh. So last, it happened a few years ago. I think I was, like, trying to be clever and took someone on a date to one of my favorite lakes, and it was a full moon, and we went swimming. You know, we hiked in and hiked out by moonlight and went swimming, and it was unbelievable. Um, and it has now sort of evolved into more of just, like, gather a bunch of friends, um, pick a really good swimming spot that's a little bit of a hike, and then go out. And swimming under the full moon is amazing. Um, also, I'm a Cancer sign, uh, sun sign. So the moon just, like, rules me completely. Um, Is that a thing? I'm a cancer. I'm a oh, cancer. Oh, yeah. Happy cancer. Um, so, yeah, that me, like, my like birthday's our, in July. That, that July what? 19th. Yes. Okay. You're a little cuspy, which means you're kind of close to the when Leo starts. Yeah. So signs switch around, like, the 20th, 21st, depending on the year. I'm a cuspy cancer. That's how I introduce mm -hmm. myself. Yeah, I should totally do that. A, a Leo, a cancer Leo cusp. Because you could be a Gemini Cancer cusp, which is, like, totally different. Um, but, yeah, so full moon swims. Cause so I love the, the moon rules Cancers? Is that... Yes, it's, like, the planet... It's the planetary body that is associated with that sign. So each of the 12 zodiac signs have a planet that sort of... Yeah, is the... I don't know, it just says the ruler. Yeah, um, I don't... I don't personally put any stock in astrology but i will say that full moons have a very strong effect on me like i don't sleep during full moons because you're a cancer <laughs> i'll just tell you now that it adds up you've you've so proven little, astrology I, to yeah, me. right done <laughs> it's not at all because the moon is really bright <laughs> and you're you know i'm you can see I get a weird uh, phobic reaction to lakes uh, once I'm out beyond where my feet can touch and mm -hmm. I can't see my feet anymore. I get oh, this weird, water. yeah, panic yeah. reaction. And the idea of doing it at night has never appealed to oh, me. Oh, yeah. No, it's so weird to be like, I have no idea. So I went swimming last night with a friend 
And as soon as we got to this river spot, we just heard a super loud <laughs> and then the ripples. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that was a beaver that just jumped in the water. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I do not want to swim near a beaver. But was also like, here we go. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Like, who knows? Are um, beavers aggressive? They're territorial. So they, my understanding is if you start fucking with their home, they'll get aggressive. But they more are like aggressively defensive. Okay. I know nothing. I'm making this up based on like, you know, two or three experiences. Yeah, we, you know, we don't have beavers here in southern Minnesota, so oh. I have no experience with beavers. Yeah. Um, I just remember once we went swimming with a dog and she like got away and was on top of a beaver house, like a beaver <laughs> dam, like barking. And we were all like, oh, God, this is, you know, it was like frantic <laughs> to undo the situation. So there's like that bit of fear. But I think they're fine. Um, right. And I'll just say the flip of full moon swim is that what gets me through the winter is full moon on snow. I do enjoy full moon on snow. Because it's amazing. Do you snowshoe? Yes. Yeah. So, right. So the inverse of full moon swim is like a full moon snowshoe. That that I can get into. Yeah. That's fun. It's amazing. And then you're like, oh, winter. I see. <laughs> I just, I have to change for you. <laughs> I, I prefer it in uh, probably late December when... The snow's not packed to ice yet. <laughs> right. There's and it's not wet anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's yeah. like actual snow snow. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, as a nor'easter, you probably get heavy. Like, we had we, six okay. feet last winter. Yeah. I don't, I don't really know how... Where do you find that measurement fact? Um, any weather website. Okay, so... Total if precipitation I, over, you know, a six-month oh, period. I don't know if it's six feet around here, but it could be. Yeah. I yeah, bet. I've, I've spent some time in Boston. I've, I've oh, seen, yeah. I've spent some time in Brooklyn, too. I know that you guys get snow. Mm-hmm. Well, they get snow and don't know what to do with it, which is my favorite <laughs> part of it all. There's too much snow. Well, you, you lived in... Oakland, right? Yeah. Where, like, rain, too much rain would shut things down? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, what? Um, And I grew up in Jersey, so, like, we had snow. um, You know, maybe it was, like, a month less on, maybe on each side. Yeah. Yeah. I I definitely remember delayed openings and sort of, we would have an issue when there was so much snow that the snow banks were so high and so they would do delayed openings, so that way people weren't driving to work and trying to get kids out of the driveway, walking to school <laughs> at the same time, because they were afraid kids would get hit because the snowbanks were so sure. high. I think that's the reason. That was my like, you know, ten-year-old rationale of why there was delayed uh, openings. A surprisingly, surprising amount of foresight for a ten-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. Uh. Pick number two. Yes. Is the color I just painted my dining room slash craft room. Which okay. is teal. I do like teal. Um, so I just bought a house this summer, which is wild. I still keep thinking they're gonna like come and take it away from me. I don't know who the they is, but it's like a weird <laughs> you know, you're like they're coming to get us. Um you know, every once in a while I'm like, Who let me do this? <laughs> Crazy. Single parent of a foster parent, you know, ah. Um so we painted the dining room this bright teal. And I'll say in general, we picked just like 
mostly me, but also my kid was like, yes, yes, yes. You know, so we did it together. Um, I think I made the final like hue choice and went with all bold colors and I love them. But the dining room is just so, I want to say like brilliant and maybe the, like an artist sense of the word. Um, but yeah, it's not like, it's like a turquoisey teal. Anyway, sometimes I still just like stand in that room and smile. I just, I'm like, wait, I just want to turn the light on and look at this. This it's such a good color. So what, um, what's your accent color with teal? Gold ah. and white. Yeah. So it's an old, the house is like 1910, um, sort of like a gambrel style. And so there's a lot of detailed woodwork kind of stuff. Um, the chair rails and the trim and stuff like that. So the top half of the room is teal and then the bottom half is white and then I'm doing all gold accent pieces. Yeah. I I would have to see that. Yeah. It's it, fun. So teal, gold, and white. Nice. Yeah. Like I spray painted a cute little birdcage. I have these like little wine glasses that have like gold leaf imprints on them that, you know, are like tiny little planters and um, gold mirrors in there. I mean, it's the room that it's sort of like the extra room, so it doesn't have very much going on. Yeah. Um, it's the whole I went from an apartment to a house, so there's just, <laughs> like, what do you, well, I can do whatever I want in that, slash I don't really need that room, so I'm not really in there. It's like uh, houses that have both a family room and a living room. What is the difference? The, I, I, ha- I actually looked that up the other day. <laughs> like, what is the difference? And generally, living rooms are considered more of, like, a foyer, like a place to... Bring people to like a sitting room, if you will, whereas the family room would be where like the TV and everything is. But if that's the definition, why have a living room? Like, why are most families just sit there? I think it's just to say, oh, yes, we have a living room. I think it's a status thing. Yeah, like our house is big know. enough that we have an extra one of these that we, all we can do is sit in it. <laughs> we just have so, nice furniture here, and right, it stays nice because we fancy. don't use it. Yeah. And not in the not not in the stays fancy covered in plastic. Right. Which is what I grew. <laughs> that was my grandma, my nanny. Yeah. Actually, both sides. Yeah, nanny and grandma. But yeah. Yeah, I just have uh, blankets over my couch to catch all the dog and cat hair. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's not that nice a couch to begin with, but it's easier to throw blankets in the laundry than to try to tape roll a whole couch. Because yeah. we have a dog with uh, short white hair, little terrier, oh. and that gets all over everything. They all get along? All three? Oh, yeah. Oh, the cool. dog, the dog uh, Lulu and Clovis, the black cat, play with each other. They have learned each other's... I think that's my third pick. (laughs) (laughs) They've learned each other's body language to the point where, like, Clovis can instigate play and Lulu will come tearing from across the room and they'll tumble together. They're the same size. Yeah. And they'll tumble together and they'll, like, latch onto each other's, like, uh, like skin folds the way that dogs would. And then Clovis will, like, go full cat and, like, jump back and smack her in the face and... Yeah, no, it's amazing to watch them play because at first you're like, oh my gosh, that dog's killing that cat. And then you realize that the cat can play bow. The cat will let Lulu know when he's done playing. Yeah. Like, yeah. and Lulu will shake off, like, you know, when dogs are done, they shake off. And, like, they've learned each other's language. It's amazing. Oh, 
I love that. Ugh. So what's your that actual third pick? Um, gosh, I don't. I mean, I kind of want to say astrology. <laughs> okay, do it. In general. I don't know if I used that up already with the first one. No. Um, or you know what? Maybe I'll say tarot cards specifically. Interesting. I do want to hear. Um, I love them. They're magical. I have a deck that is called the Collective Tarot, which is now, I believe, out of print. Um, it was made by a lot of like punks and queers and artists in the Northwest. So it has like all Northwest flavor, I don't know, 10 plus years ago. So it takes, it is like, um, it takes like a queer and activist spin on traditional tarot decks, which is really cool. So it messes with pronouns and has like a lot of trans and genderqueer folks. It has a lot of people of color represented, folks with different um, abilities and disabilities. And most of the cards have sort of like a for your personal life, but also for your collective organizing interpretations okay and um my deck is just like really sassy i don't we just have a relationship it's you know <laughs> my deck and i'll ask it questions and pull cards and be like god damn <laughs> like i don't know it's just always yeah sassy is the word i like to use so you use this in your decision making process yeah i mean not like in a should i do this or should i do that but more like um, kind of questions I ask are kind of like what should I expect to happen or like why am I stuck around this thing um, what do I need to remember in this moment so they're more like a therapist more exis- yeah yeah a life coach the- for you exactly because they're just reflecting you know and part of it is that you can kind of read whatever you want into them I mean yeah. within reason um For me, it's more about, it's a reflection to myself um, that's a little bit deeper than sort of the surface or sort of rational brain. Um, It's more of a gut or intuitive reaction. And so it helps me be like, oh, yeah, that's right. I just need to, like, you know, let things happen and stop trying to be so controlling. Or um, I need to enjoy myself because I did work really hard and I can take a break for a minute. Or, you know, yes, my life is falling apart and it is like, I need to get my shit together. Um, so, yeah, I love my deck. And I got my my kid a deck for his birthday last year because that was one of the things I had brought to camp um, the year before. It was my tarot deck and had all the campers pull a card each day. So the idea was it also like, you know, think about this idea that this card represents um throughout the day and we'll like talk about it later you know how it might how this either shifted something for you or how this reflects what's going on for you um and so then i got my and they loved it all the kids were like i'm a witch and i was like sure of course you are why not um what does that mean to you um and then i got my kid a deck and so it's like the best parenting technique um it is like an ace in the hole every time because as a lot of people that use tarot decks say, like, the cards don't lie. You know? So, like, even when you think your teenager is lying, <laughs> you pull a card and they're like, oh, like, I am hiding something was what happened to us one time. I was like, you're being really shady. Let's pull some tarot cards. And it was literally the card that's like, you're hiding a secret. And I was like, hmm, <laughs> what is that? You know? Or other times it's just been really helpful to have 
basically like this other voice say to him, you know, like, you're doing a great job or you need to let yourself, you know, be loved by other people or, you know, be careful of what you do next. Um, And there's a lot of really amazing tarot decks out there that are being put out by so many amazing artists and just folks that um, are sort of tearing down some of like the binaries or sort of traditional pieces of tarot decks that a lot of us alternative weirdo people don't like. Um, so there's like a similar deck that came out for like the South. That's like a Southern themed tarot deck called slow holler, which is also really cool. So it's sort of similar to that collective tarot deck. Um, is that one yeah. in print? It is. It is in print. Um, I will find a link to that. Yeah, that one's cool. Um, there's, I mean, there's so many. There's so many, so many, so many. Um, my kid has the Wild Unknown, which is a tar- I mean, and there's so much about tarot that I don't know. Like, there's different types of decks, and there's some that are more, like, numbers-based and some that are more suit-based. Um, so there's this one called the Wild Unknown, which is just so beautiful. Um, and it has no human depictions in the whole deck, which is also really cool. Hmm. All right. So- I yeah. do like I like the uh what you did at camp. When yeah. I go to yoga classes, they often start with an intention. And it's sure. it's kind of a yeah. general concept that then you figure out how it applies to you as as the day goes on. And I whether, you know, you believe in tarot or not, that kind of idea of just giving someone a concept to apply in whatever way makes sense i i I find that an effective way to just be mindful about what's happening right and i think some people think that it's like you know what should i wear to work today and it's gonna (laughs) you know the tarot cards will tell you your outfit or like you know you dress like a witch this investment you know (laughs) um i don't that's not what i use them for i think for me it's like the closest thing to making time for meditation yeah that's like a quiet slow clear my brain from the sort of material things of the world and like actually think of deeper pieces in my life. Um, yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's tell people how they can find you. Are you on Twitter? Oh, sure. No, no. <laughs> I live in Vermont. I don't, I'm not <laughs> we don't have Twitter in Vermont. What? No, everyone has Twitter. I just, I'm not a big social media person. I, um, have a website, openbookkeeping.com. Um, and the root is the, the root SJC, which stands for the root social justice center.org. Both things are on Facebook in the, I think the root has an Instagram thing, but I don't know if we use it very well. If I can find it, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, yeah, All I right. do. And I do I'll just, my own personal plug is that, um, I do like consulting and also workshops. This is one of the fun things in my life. Um, And maybe I'll send you the link for this really cool project that is social justice and finance combined. It's called the um, How Can We Make More Money a Values Based Financial Toolkit. Okay. Very exciting. Yeah. Uh, I will add a link to that in the show notes as well. Thank you. This has been awesome. This is my first podcast. First ever. I think so. Well, thank you. 
Yeah, that's great. All right. Um, thanks for having me. And yeah, if you send me the things, I will also, I won't add show notes, but yeah, happy to share this around. Yeah, perfect. Um, so thank you and thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you in a week. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode of Systematic. You can find me at brettterpstra.com and as TT Scoff on every platform, including Facebook, Twitter, GitHub, Last.fm, and probably a bunch you've never heard of. Just search for TTSCOFF. You can also find Systematic on Twitter, so to tweet at me and my guest and for updates and announcements, follow Systemcast, S-Y-S-T-M-C-A-S-T. If you're loving Systematic, don't forget to go leave an inspiring iTunes review. Thanks for listening. Bye.